So welcome back everyone. Um, thanks for joining me again. I'm your host Bradley Taylor and I'm here with Robin. I'm Robin, co-host. Co -host. Yeah, and we've got, uh, we've got Craig McLean today on with us who's going to be chatting a bit about um, chiropractic and, and his journey and um, yeah, why don't you start off actually Craig, why don't you give it, the audience a bit of an introduction into you and what your uh, story is. Well, as you said, I'm Craig McLean and I'm the co-founder, I guess, of Cairo London, um, which just happens to be someone that gave you a job, Brad. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, thanks for inviting me on the podcast, boys. I've listened to a couple of the episodes. Um, I guess you were hoping to try and gain some knowledge from me about my journey as a chiropractor initially but then how it evolved into being 25 years later. Yep, that's how long I was a chiropractor or have been a chiropractor for, to now running five businesses um, and uh, generating work for currently, I think it's 14 chiropractors. Um, so, and that's in, yeah, as I said, in five different locations in the southwest of London in the UK. And yeah, I've been, obviously, everything from the chiropractic locum to the chiropractic associate to the individual practice owner uh, to now the multiple practice owner so um, hopefully i have something to share with your listeners about Indeed. trying to help them maybe or even you guys yeah. just find your way in where you want to where you want to be yourselves you know yeah so exactly yeah well thanks for that i want to first start off by asking you a bit more about like what's your sort of where you came from what the what it looked like from the grassroots I think in our previous chat actually Craig had me on just for the listeners listening to this Craig had me on to the Cairo London podcast and he got to dig a bit deeper into sort of my history and my grassroots and Craig's originally from Australia as you could probably hear from the, the accent uh, in the background but um, yeah, Craig, why give us a bit of a grassroots history as to how you got into chiropractic and sort of where you where you started because that is a question that I asked most of uh, when I interviewed all of you guys on the podcast but uh, no look I I got into chiropractic once I realized it aligned well with my natural inborn health philosophy that I have okay so um, I think when you ask a chiropractor that question they either fall into the category of someone who has an awesome experience as a kid and therefore gets inspired to become a chiropractor or they just kind of maybe they choose that as, as a career based on another path, maybe based more on just a logical, it sounds like a good job, you know? Um, so, uh, hope that wasn't too noisy in the background there, sitting <laughs> by a slightly noisy room. But anyway, the, um, as I said, I, uh, I had a, I have a quite a natural health philosophy myself. I wasn't really uh, one for taking in medication as a kid. Um, uh, in fact, I had a couple of probably bad reactions to some medication as a kid and ended up, uh, once I worked out as a chiropractor, you could help people with just your own set of hands to sort of maybe make people a bit healthier, then that seemed like a great career path for me because it aligned with some of my own, own philosophies that I was just only beginning to discover as like a teenager, right? Mm. So then that, that journey went from like a quite a small rural country town in Australia uh, I went to Melbourne, which most country kids did. You would go to the Big Smoke to sort of study something and ended up the, at the RMIT uh, where they still have the, the five-year degree course down in, in Melbourne. Um, I think at the t it's a double degree at the moment, but um, I just went through as a single degree and got a, a Bachelor of Applied Science. Um, so... Yeah, that's kind of how I found my way into Cairo. And, the, and then the more I didn't really know much about the history, didn't really know much about the philosophy as I entered in. It just seemed like a, a, a great profession to be a part of. Mm. Um, and really, thankfully, at the time, I think it's changed a little bit now. It definitely has. Melbourne has changed. And I think a lot of the institutions have changed. But there were some pretty inspirational lecturers that we had there. Uh, and they were teaching us a lot about the historical aspects of chiropractic, you know, so the, the, the subluxation, 
um, a lot about BJ and DD Palmer, um, and just being very, very respectful of the history as well. So that really sort of allowed me to sort of get stuck into learning um, just at university, not having to go too far afield to 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 learn some of that stuff. And like I said, it all aligned quite well with my with my natural philosophy. So. Hmm. Have you um have you have you done any other sort of like post uni study into philosophy and things like that? Has that been stuff that you've like looked into much after, or did you did you get quite a lot of that, like enough of that in uni to sort of get you get you to where you're at a philosophically sound point? You know, I don't recall off the top of my head any. You know, I I guess. It, it's, it was more like, you know what happened is through uni, and I think this is what you guys were getting into and sort of post uni, I ended up sort of setting up quite a few of these little kind of mentoring groups, you know, mm. um, just with some few close friends who are also chiropractors. Um, back in the day before Zoom or Skype was a thing, you just go and meet up and have a meal and sort of um, talk through some stuff and be it the green books or be it sort of trying to sort of look at what um, Cairo was like back in the day um that's how i actually gleaned a little bit more from the uh the philosophy of chiropractic really um mm. and you know but uh, probably the most influential it's nothing like the the one thing that does stand out as far as a, a seminar though for that sort of to give yourself a little bit of a boost is that james chestnut um conference so i don't know if you guys have ever done that like um no no, no. it's more of the wellness spectrum right like he, he's an amazing guy where he's like this kind of, he spent a lot of time as a student. Uh, he loved research. <laughs> Not everyone loves research and digging through research papers, but this guy has put together one of his, he's got these like four books and one of them I think is called either, I think it's the 12 or 15 principles of chiropractic vertebral subluxation or something like that right and so he goes through and massively dug deep into the scientific research to try and support all the different aspects of what um, happens to someone's spine and then gives you a ton of evidence to be able to make uh, some certainty around when you're sort of talking to your patients about um, what's wrong with their spine right so but he also, he's evolved that whole thing now. If you just sort of look up Chestnut, any of your listeners out there, you'll be able to, like, he still does these conferences, but I think he's evolved it now to being like a full, um, almost like a practice management type of uh, system where, um, because he, he does the move well, eat well, think well type of thing, you know, um, and, and that's what his coaching program, I guess, uh, helps you out with is, is, you know, making sure that you look after all your, your patients in all three of those categories and having the, the information and the, the science to back up anything you say about that. Yeah. Um, Greg, you were saying that back in the day, you said that you would, you get into groups and have mentorship and talk about green books and stuff. So back in those days, if you will, has the, would you say on the, on the whole, the chiropractic profession become different? Has it become more or less principled or philosophically based as it used to be? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, um, because one of my main jobs I do right now is kind of recruiting for our company and um, quite a, quite a few people I've come across from obviously mainly recently from UK institutions. And um, I get the impression like some of the graduates I've met over the years and I know it's not, it, it's sort of, you know, it's like it, you get out of something, what you're prepared to put into it. Right. So um, there was a couple of the new grads, um, one in particular, I can't remember who it was, but uh, he came from Weok, and I wasn't sure if he knew that chiropractic helped the nervous system or not. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was kind of like talking to me like it was, um, you know, a rehabilitation arm of medicine, you know, um, and almost like that thing of being afraid to adjust the spine um because of what potentially problems it could create maybe both legally um and getting yourself in trouble right so i actually look i had a conversation like that just the other day um, um you know where it's that thing where if someone presents with neck pain uh even though this guy understood the principles of the foundation of the spine needs to be looked after to ensure the neck is functioning properly. 
he'd been so ingrained in that idea of not, you know, if you adjust someone's lower back and they don't have pain, and then three days later they come back and they've got a really painful lower back because of something you did, then it's like you're, you're, you're up for some sort of legal problems, you know? Whereas if you know, and if you can educate your patients enough, and if, if you know the way the body works, sometimes that's just the way it works. You know, sometimes um, the neck problem will shift into the lower back within a few days. And, and that's just something you have to sort of, yeah, that's what I mean in terms of like, that's how I think it's changed. I think there's been a little bit of taking away from looking at the body as a whole um, and looking at how important the adjustment is over modalities, over rehabilitation, over soft tissue needling, all that sort of stuff. Um, and that's, that's what I've seen change over the years. Yeah. yeah, I think it's certainly with like with us, one of the things that like I felt lacked a lot from what like I learned at uni was definitely that exposure to more history and, and philosophy and also being given that guidance on on how and why um, the body can react in different ways and how you can take a full spine approach to um, correcting someone's body and nervous system. And that was one of the things that I didn't really get so strongly from college, um, but looked elsewhere and we found a lot of that. So it seems like over the years in general, like in a number of places, I guess that, that um, sort of background history and philosophy have been on not as, uh, yeah, not, not taught in the same way, I guess, as they might've been yeah, sort of closer to. Have you noticed the principles and a philosophical foundation have they like reduced over the years has it got sort of left smaller and smaller well i get the impression from what i hear at uh, university that uh sometimes it's difficult to get sort of philosophical education especially historical stuff from cairo because it doesn't quite fit into the offering and is, is that right i mean you guys are closer to it's it than a, me yeah yeah i definitely feel that way um yeah, they do. It does seem to be like segregated. Like, oh yeah, this this is a bit of history has absolutely nothing to do with being a chiropractor. But here it is, and and nothing on philosophy itself either. It's a lot just just science based and how to how to be a clinician really. But was that the motivation behind you guys getting some of these external speakers in then as well? Was it? I think it, yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't necessary to dive into any particular topics, but definitely to give people more of an insight into what can be out there. So when people did want to come and talk about that stuff, we were quite encouraging of that because it's like, um, if you're not like that, that, this is one of the ways that you can get exposure to that, and quite an, and if you're also like you're not paying for it or not um, set up to go like it, it's just it was kind of a lot of it was just like fluid talks that just happened um, happened to come about and someone was quite interested in talking about that and then they gave us a bit of insight into that. But the club itself wasn't wasn't really um, aimed at any sort of topics right, at all. Yeah. It was just general it's chiropractic free, insight. Yeah. A free platform for free expression of, of chiropractic from, yeah. from chiropractors. Yeah. For health professionals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Craig, let's dive a bit, uh, get a bit more out of you from in terms of your your uni stuff because uh, that was quite interesting. Um, so you recently went went back to RMIT um, not not too long ago to go have an alumni uh, event with I think we were, I remember speaking to you about that um, earlier this year. How was that like connecting with some of your people like your classmates and stuff like that? How how sort of how things sort of progress and what's the um, state of chiropractic in Australia, I guess, if, if you know much about it. That was amazing. Um, it's funny how it took me from the UK uh, to organize this <laughs> reunion, but I did it. And, and selfishly, I did it because I knew I was going to be in the country at that particular one week period. So I'm like, right, guys, enough's enough. 25 years has passed. And I was still in a bit of shock that I've been a chiropractor for 25 years. Um, however, uh, we had, I think about 75 people in our year and I'm pretty sure there's about 55 people who turned up on the night. Now, some of these guys I hadn't seen for 25 years. And however, it is amazing how pretty much time stood still for, you know, you, you kind of, the human brain must be slightly strange in the way that it sort of doesn't quite 
unless you forget 20 odd, 25 years has passed and you just pick up conversation where they left off. So uh, that was pretty cool. Um, So that also though, um, I think it must be because it's a, probably not many degrees do that amount of hours congested into one period, you know? Um, And also you're always doing the same subjects with the same people. So those five years end up being like you're living in these guys back pockets as well. Right. Um, So that was cool. And look, there's been, um, you know, uh, in my year as well. um, I think it was a pretty good year, you know, Um, we've ended up, you know, Paul McCrossan was in my year, the UCA president. Um, oh, wow. So he was in my year. Um, Simon Floriani was in my year, who is Simon and Jen do a fair bit in around Melbourne. Um, and, but also, you know, we got, uh, I got chatting to, there was a couple of guys there, you know, who, who randomly, like they studied chiropractic. Uh, they, they then worked as a chiropractor for about five years, but I think they were such academic junkies that they decided that being a chiropractor wasn't enough. And so they went back and completed medical degrees, uh, these two guys, and one is an anesthesiologist and the other ones, are, um, I think he heads up the pediatric ward at basically like the Royal Melbourne Children's Hospital. Um, however, both of those guys were still there at this reunion and chugging back a few beers with the rest of us, um, you know, talking about the good old days. And even though their path, his, their paths, those two guys had taken a very different um, um, direction. Yeah. They were still remembering the good old days just as, as well as it was anyone. So, um, yeah, yeah, that was quite good. Cool. Okay. And why did you move from Australia in the first place, Craig? So, you know, most Aussies, you have that opportunity to sort of jump on the boat and come over and uh, have a backpack and you get two years and then you have to go home, right? So obviously what most Aussies do is they come back to the mother country, um, mainly to do with language and as in, you know, speaking English and, you know, London attracts a lot of people uh, in, in that regard. So that's kind of, I just wanted to see a bit of the world. Um, unlike a lot of people who do the old gap year um, between high school and, and uni, I guess I did a kind of a gap year um, when I was 27, mm. where I worked in Oz for five years in two different associateships. Mm. And then I came over here and basically did 12 months worth of travel and locoming um, before I ended up buying Putney Chiropractic. So... Wow. And yeah, look, I still get asked that question. Why are you in the UK when um, the weather is so amazing back home and the lifestyle is so amazing back home? But I don't know. I mean, uh, obviously I've been here like 20 years now and I just love, you know, I think there's, there's so much England has, uh, I was just driving down here to Cornwall the other day and uh, it's a beautiful countryside around here. You know, I don't think uh, it's given enough credit for what's going on. Uh, this coastline down here is just phenomenal. Um, in, I'm in Falmouth at the moment down in Cornwall. Um, yeah, but that's, that's kind of why I did it. And, uh, you know, I'm still here. So, yeah. So, so you, you, you went, you did five year or two, you did five years of associateship in, in Oz and then you came over to the UK and Locum for a bit. What were the, what were the kind of differences between being an associate chiropractor and a, and a Locum? Well, the, you know, the, the trick, the trickiest thing as a locum is obviously you've got a sort of a really good locum is someone who has a skill to be able to sort of put aside any of his own beliefs uh, or technical preferences and replicates exactly what's going on on the ground, you know? So, um, and to a degree, I really loved my time doing that because, you know, what an enable. In fact, there's one particular locum I loved amazingly was that it was in Portugal. I ended up doing a, a month's locum in Portugal. Um, most of the patients were the locals and they didn't speak English, right? So here I am, a non Portuguese speaking chiropractor turning up to a Portuguese practice. 80%, 90% of the guys were, were Portuguese. I had a CA at the front desk doing the normal stuff, but I also had like a tech CA running around doing the communicating for me. And to me, that was amazing. All I had to do is get in there, focus on the spine, adjust what was there, do a very small amount of communication, 
and then uh, my tech CA took over. It was brilliant. Awesome. <laughs> I couldn't ever quite replicate that whole situation in English speaking countries though. But uh, yeah. yeah. No, and so then going back to associate life, I mean, associateship life can be tricky too. Well, it is tricky in that, you know, you've got to treat it like your own little baby, right? And um, uh, some associates are given free reign and the tools to do what they want and do a great job. Uh, others are restricted in quite a few ways and maybe have a few political hurdles to jump through and uh, it's maybe not as enjoyable, you know, but um, the, the, it was good. It was, uh, I think associateships are a very valuable way to sort of gain the skills, to make some of the mistakes, to kind of learn some of the lessons that you've spent five years at university, but you really only start learning once you start seeing those live people in front of you and working out trying to, different ways to try and help everyone. So, yeah. Definitely. So then you but, went on after that, you went into going, You did you buy Putney straight on like after you finished locoming or did you associate with Putney before? Yeah, so I did that thing too, which is a really nice thing to do. Of, of I was an associate in Putney for a couple of years. Um, oh. The two guys, I was kind of part, part locum, part associate. In fact, the locum I did for at Putney ended up turning into an associateship because I did a really long locum for about three months at one point. And then they're like, well, you might as well just stay on because you've got enough of a following in this time. I'll just come back and then you stay on. So uh, that's definitely what happened. And then I got to sort of look into the sort of the differences of, of practice between Australia and the UK as well. Mm. Um, so actually there's, uh, so you know, the, the one main difference that is between Australia and the UK has actually not to do with chiropractic, but the actual health service in general. Right. So uh, I'm not sure if you know, but well, obviously you're, you, you understand the NHS and the way that works with regards to seeing your GP and going to hospital in Australia. Um, it's a, sort of a similar system, but it's almost part private, right? So when you go to your GP, you have to pay half. Right? Mm. So you go along, uh, you have your little Medicare card, you almost tap that onto the contactless thing, it takes off $35, and then you've topped that up with another $35, and you end up paying 70 in total, right? But what that, in my opinion, does is gives you a lot more responsibility to ask that question of, do I really need to be going here uh, or can, is there something else I can do to sort of um, take my health into my own hands? You know what I mean? Uh, not neglecting things, but literally just by taking that little bit more responsibility about whether or not you should or shouldn't do something. Um, and now I'm talking about lifestyle here. Okay. Because then mm -hmm. if you look at the hospital system, obviously the UK has this great system whereby anything that happens to you, you are going to get the best care no matter what with the NHS. In Australia, um, again, there is, there's not a, a, a direct net to kind of like catch all of the people, you know. Um, there, it's, it is there. It's sort of a means-tested thing that if you don't earn that much, then you can actually, you, the net will catch you up. But the rest of the people have to end up having some sort of private health cover um to give them more options like that so but in effect what i think that does to the psyche of people in australia with regards to their health is they actually are like well okay i just because i know there isn't this full net to catch me um like there is in the uk i'm going to make sure i'm i'm as healthy as i possibly can be through my through my life now that's not 100 percent of the time because i think australia has some pretty bad obesity rates and all that sort of stuff but um it's certainly a situation which I find difference between Australia and the UK. And then that leads on into your uh, chiropractic practice, you know, where the UK guys sometimes are not that easy to convince that they should be paying for care um, out of their own pocket. Um, and maybe they're not that convinced that they should be um, taking some healthy lifestyle choices as much as, you know, the, you imagine the beach bums in Australia get the, the, the credit for. So that, that's a fairly big, long answer to a <laughs> uh, a question that was fairly simple, but Cheers, I yeah, I'm taking the liberty. So Greg, apart from, you touched a bit about the psyche differences between like the Australian public looking for chiropractic and the British one looking for chiropractic. But in, in, in other general terms, 
how does the chiropractic profession differ in the UK compared to the compared to Australia? Well, I guess one main difference is that it's represented by one association, um, the the CAA. Uh, not now. By all means, I believe not everyone's a member of the CAA. It's not as though it's like a fully embraced thing. There are still a fairly high percentage of chiropractors that just aren't a member of any association. But, you know, obviously in the UK, you've got the, the BCA mob and UCA, McTimony, Scottish. And so it's a, it's a fairly, even though the BCA, sorry, the, the, ally, the, the Alliance of Health Chiropractors has gotten yeah. together and at least formed two main groups. Um, yeah, look, I would say that's one big difference. Another difference, I think, is it's maybe wrapped up in what I was saying there before. It's a lot more normal for, chiropr for chiropractors to have entire families passing through their doors on a monthly type of basis, you know, or some sort of regular care type of basis, right? In Australia or in the UK? In Australia, yeah, sorry. So, yeah, so in, in Australia, so therefore, um, and I'm pretty sure that's a combination of the fact that that the Aussies value their health a little bit more, but also they have chiropractors that are, are very happy to sort of push them in that direction to sort of say, hey, look, if it's really good for you, why don't you just get your whole family in here? Because I'm sure they could all benefit from that. Mm. Um, and yeah, so in the UK, I think there's that little bit, like I touched on it very early on in the piece, where there's that little bit of, not are they scared are they just uncertain as to whether they should be mentioning it or not but a little bit of reservation as to whether or not they should be telling someone how their family's health could be improved upon by going to the chiropractor so that's yeah i think that's one of the big differences so in um on that kind of like that wavelength with regards to how people think about health in the uk do you think it would be beneficial for um or a system like the NHS to include chiropractic within it? Or do you think chiropractic's better off saying, I mean, the service is better off saying uh, privatized or what is it, what's your opinion on, on that? Like whether, yeah, chiropractic would be good in the, in the NHS? Well, uh, you know, I, I think I have a fairly unpopular opinion uh, in the UK as to what, how the NHS could be improved upon. Um, because um, it's obviously, you know, revered around the world as being an amazing system. But I still like that idea of one improvement I would make on the NHS would be to replicate the Australian system of, of having the user pay a small amount to go and see their GP. You know? Some kind um, of responsibility. I don't think GPs health. get to get paid enough over here for a start. Um, and therefore the quality of the care isn't quite as good, but also the, to get an appointment um, with your GP is really difficult, you know? Mm. Um, so I think by just having people think twice about going along to their GP, if they had to pay a little bit, not much, you know, it'll probably just make people think twice about it. You know? So, mm. um, and then answering your question about, um, you know, should chiropractic be included in the NHS? I know some physiotherapies who work within the NHS physiotherapy system. Um, and, you know, the, the, the apparent lack of perceived value that I think the patients... Uh, no, so they just don't value it as much if they're getting it for free. That's my point, right? Mm -hmm. So therefore... Um, on one hand, yes, it would probably enable more um, more people access to chiropractic. But then on the other hand, would everyone value that as much as it if they were actually paying for it themselves? And I don't really know. Not to mention the fact, you know, I'm not sure if we actually even have enough graduates in this country yeah. to be able to like fill the positions that would be required to actually roll out cover on the NHS as well I don't, I don't know yeah I think that's probably one of the definitely one of the issues I think a lot of universities are trying to tackle at the moment or it seems like at least since even in our time in uni like how you if, certainly at the start it felt like a lot of the uni um, out of our class was made up of people from all over the world and then like let's say if half are British and half and 
or maybe half intend on staying, then you've got these colleges that exist within the UK and the UK is pumping resources into making these colleges work and, produ and produce workers for the UK, but they're not like they're ended up ending up just spreading on to the rest of Europe and, and or back home or wherever else. So that might be one of the definitely a relevant issue. I think, yeah, I think you're right on that one, like access to graduates and just chiropractors in general might not be able to hold the it system. Sounds, it sounds like uh, there are like a, mu a few more, like European schools being set up though, you know what I mean? So, like which hopefully is, uh, I know AECC has had that history of, of educating all Europeans, haven't they? Yeah, the Ang <laughs> Anglo-European College of Chiropractic. <laughs> yeah. They were the first, the first one. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Craig, I just want to ask you a bit as to like, what kind of techniques have you done over years? How has your technique changed and what have you arrived at now? So uh, with technique, uh, we were given a pretty good um, versing in um, uh, at the university on uh, Gonstead and diversified adjusting. Um, now, it was great getting all that Gonstead stuff and I really gave, I think I still use the Gonstead listing system when I write my scribbles down or sort of uh, type out my notes for, um, for patients. But um, I, I think it's really good to get that sort of base in, in diversified Gonstead. Then uh, as a student, I was also, I signed up to doing the, um, the first three weekends of the SOT um, seminar. So sacro-occipital technique, I found to be a really good way to actually help you kind of process and analyze what's going wrong with people. So, and, and that also really got me to be able to communicate to people the difference between, you know, when T5 is not functioning very well, it can affect the nerves to the stomach and that sort of thing. So they do some really cool stuff with that. So it was like that, that were the sort of three main very early days, just, you know, even before I graduated, I felt fairly confident in all three of those systems. Um, mm. I still needed a lot more practice in things like chair adjusting um, because it's a real art form um, to learn how to adjust specifically like the way the Gonstead guys like to adjust. So, yeah, so th those three. Um, however, I guess as time went by, I realized as well, I had a little bit of a hole in my ability to deal with pregnant women and kids, right? So um, if you can get yourself a Webster certification, definitely do that. Mm. However, you know, if, if you can't, you've got to realize that actually the, the protocols based on Webster's is actually just the application of chiropractic to a pregnant woman. Mm. So uh, yes, there is a lot more reference to what's happening with the uterine ligaments and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, however, um, in its rawest form, it's about getting the pelvis balanced, you know, so that was really useful. Um, then I actually, I didn't complete this ever, partly timing, partly, so the, the guy who started up uh, NIP or what's called Neuro Impulse Protocol mm. is a guy called Neil Davies and he was actually coming over to the UK and teaching us how to do this. And so I started my postgraduate training in, um, I guess it was chiropractic pediatrics. And that was all based around, it was almost in the, the precursor to the development of this NIP technique. But that is very useful with regards to the protocols that they still teach today, I think is some of the best as to how to deal with a kid, okay? And that's everyone from uh, a newborn baby all the way through. There's a, there's a lot of stuff around cranial work, upper cervical, and what the sacrum does, which uh, can be very useful. So yeah. Uh, that's about it. Look, I mean, I've dabbled in all sorts of things over the years. I've done a network um, conference over in uh, Lake Como with Donnie Epstein. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Donnie, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, pretty crazy stuff. What he, you know, he was teaching back in the day, and I, I yeah. think they still are. Um, um, so that was uh, that's eye opening. Eye opening with regards to sort of looking at. Even if you don't implement that, you know, you just kind of look at the small, what is the smallest amount of input I can put into this person's spine to make the biggest effect? Yeah. That's the sort of stuff which, which I love as well, you know. Activator methods, I've done loads of that sort of stuff on and off over the years as well. And, you know, again, I think it's, it's a nice little thing to think about. We can all get in the habit of just adjusting seven segments of the, the spine, everyone who comes through the door. 
Right, but I challenge you to only adjust one side of the lower back or one side of the neck, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's... I personally, I only adjust to sometimes three segments of the whole swim per visit at the moment. That's why I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm at least trying to stay either in the sympathetic system or the parasympathetic. So, yeah. And I'll just base that based on their tone of their, of their, of their hamstrings and their gastrocs. And if they're really tight and they're in fight and flight, then I'll just stay in parasympathetic. So I'll just adjust either the pelvis or the neck. Yeah. And then I wouldn't actually do that. Yeah. Well, thanks for that insight into um, into technique. I think like it's one of these uh, careers where you just like you just have to carry on learning and learning, and there's, yeah, there's not so much there's so there. much to learn, and there's yeah almost can't you can't learn at all really. If you, yeah. You the most. Um. Craig, I want to jump back onto just you were telling us about like we kind of got to where you had ended up in Putney and, and you were working as an associate and then you decided to to buy the practice. What was your what was kind of your thought? Why why did you want to do that and why what made you want to step out from sort of going from being an associate to to being a business owner? Great question. What was I thinking really though? You know, I had the good life. I could just turn up to work, you know, do three days a week. Not have to worry about employing anyone or paying bills or yeah. speaking to landlords, all that sort of stuff. Um, now look, I think, I think you've, you want to, and, and because I, I now know the difference between all sorts of things as an associate compared to a business owner, right? Um, but probably the biggest thing you could do is just sort of look back, look the, shine the mirror back on yourself and just kind of go, look, am I cut out for this or not? You know, um, what is it that really makes you tick? Right. And, 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 and if as an associate chiropractor, you are loving the lifestyle that it leads and, and being able to focus purely on helping people, uh, as an individual, then just evolve that as best that you can, you know? Um, there's a lot of people out there who are always thinking the grass is greener on the other side of the, of, of the fence. And it's definitely not the case when you first go into owning um, a practice. Because I, I can tell you now that the, uh, you know, the percentages that associates get paid traditionally as a chiropractor, <clears throat> if you're a solo practitioner running uh, a practice or you've got one, just one associate, the percentages you earn as a as a um, as a chiropractor are in your favour as an associate. So and 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 on top of that, you just don't have all the different little headaches and potential problems that can kind of arise um, from doing that. So you have to sort of it's almost like you double your workload and you reduce your percentage to become a chiropractic owner. <laughs> Is that, is that if, if you have like quite a big clinic with like an x-ray machine, a CA and maybe two, two CAs including practice manager or is that even if you're just going as a solo doc, like just, just you, no CA, no nothing? I think like, you know, in the, without wanting to sort of time stamp this too much, the, uh, the pandemic times has obviously probably made people rethink the way they practice a little bit too as well, right? So how much were they spending on wages when the government's actually furloughed some of your staff and you realise actually how much you were paying them relative to what you're bringing in. Um, it is going to make a few people think about what they can and can't afford to do, you know? So yeah, look, I, I, there's a tipping point with everything, you know what I mean? So um, if you are a solo practitioner with pretty low overheads, you can probably generate a reasonable income, you know? Um, there's this probably middle section where you're increasing the overheads and sort of not necessarily getting that much busier, uh, which is probably the, the worst spot to be. And then there's the, the other end of the spectrum where you have two associates who are fairly busy. Uh, you've got an X-ray machine, you've got a couple of staff, but you've also got um, a pretty busy practice. Then that's not a bad place to be as well. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, so clearly, obviously, like a, a lot of um, <coughs> a lot of thought needed to go into whether, like, you can balance that, whether the, the external pressure it's going to put on your life and workload and everything is worth, worth <laughs> doing. And clearly, you, at that point, you thought it was. 
And then how, how long did you kind of keep it as sort of Putney before you, before you guys sort of branched out further than that? Well, that, that's a, the interesting thing is that in 2002 is when I actually bought Putney. Yeah. And then it wasn't until 2015 that I bought my second practice. <laughs> okay. so it's, however, uh, however, in that time, I was very much ingrained in that idea. So for 13 years, I did all sorts of things. So, you know, uh, when I worked for seven years, taking the practice from two associates to four, mm. and we maxed out that small little building. There was only two consult rooms and an x-ray room, uh, and we maxed that right out. Um, there was literally, there was all sorts of problems in actually just moving the volume of people in and out of that building. So it's really nice when, you know, I, I had to get kicked out of our building, um, to actually move, but it was the best thing that actually happened. You know, I think you can, you can end up doing that thing where you, you, you hang on the better the devil, you know, is, uh, is that sort of saying? And I was like, it was until the landlord said, we're not going to renew the lease and you had to go and find somewhere else that then it created that, that ability to be able to let go of my little security blanket and then see what else was um, available. And it was so much better when we moved into the current Putney premises and that just literally enabled us to sort of increase our productivity by a third by within a year of moving to that. Right. So, right. um, yeah, sometimes it's well worth just taking a, a, a leap and, and seeing what happens with that too. Mm -hmm. Not just kind of like, oh, we're doing okay. I think we'll just stay here, you know. Um, yeah. So how long have you, have you guys been in the current, when did, when, what year did you move into Putney, the current building that Putney's in? Yeah, so 2009 was when we moved into Putney. And so, yeah, 11 years. Seven years so. and then 11 from then. Wow, proper. Yeah. It was really cool, like yeah. last year, no, no, 2018, I think it was, we had our 30th birthday party. Amazing. And, and that, was, that was amazing. It was um, a really nice opportunity to give thanks to some people that have been supporting us throughout all that whole time. Yeah. And I don't know, it, it's on one hand, 30 years doesn't sound like that long, but on the other hand, uh, doing something for 30 years is, is pretty impressive. So Busy, yeah, very long. And then, so 2009, you did that. And then how did things become Cairo London from there? So it actually all came from a conversation around what I did with, um, with Luke Brady. So Luke Brady was my longest standing and probably best associate Putney has ever seen. Well, definitely. Um, he was the busiest and... He just got into this lovely groove of caring for people really efficiently and um, you know, people still talk about him now, even though he's left a couple of years ago. Um, but back in the time, I could kind of see he'd been with us for about four years and I'm like, he's either going to leave or, you know, or I'm going to have to start talking to him about maybe doing some sort of project together just to kind of keep him interested. So this is my motivation behind how Cairo London started up. Um, yeah. I think Luke's, well, you'd have to ask him, but I get yeah. the impression he's probably like, this is pretty cool. Uh, maybe I can sort of learn a few tricks from the old dog and um, we can kind of start up something kind of new and exciting. So um, that's, that's how that it kind of evolved. And then as we realized that uh, the... In fact, it was, it was interesting. The first clinic, we uh, we faffed around for about nine to even 12 months before we actually found a practice that we liked enough to buy. Or not, not, there, was, there was a lot of, like, we, we had about two or three other practices we were looking at, but for all sorts of reasons, that wasn't really working out. And sometimes it's to do with landlords and leases. Sometimes it's to do with the fact the practitioner actually doesn't really want to let go of their little baby. Um, and so it's not quite as simple as it maybe appeared to just multiply. Yeah. However, I, I, you know, I've been quoted as saying many times that I'm pretty sure if you went to, I don't know what the right number is, probably two thirds of the practices across the UK, if someone knocked on their door and was prepared to give them a situation where they could have sell their practice on, and either stay or leave uh, for the right fee, two thirds of them, I reckon, would say yes. 
And so then we ended up just finding, and I think that's to do with the fact that they, maybe they've just sort of getting a bit tired of it, maybe they lost a little bit of motivation towards things, but mainly they just don't like the admin side of things. I'd rather just focus in on being a chiropractor because I think that goes back to that whole thing of like, do you really want to be a practice owner or not? Or do you actually just want to develop yourself as the guru chiropractor that everyone wants to see within that local area? Um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's what I think about that. Nice. So you, so you guys, you started, you started that uh, with, with Luke and then you kind of expanded quite quickly. I understand you got, got quite a few clinics going or did you, I think that that's where you did it, right? Or you didn't, you didn't kind of buy one and then buy another one and then buy another one after a few years. It was quite like you found a yeah. few things and it all worked out quite quickly. Yeah, so as I said, once we got through those first 12 months, then pretty much for the next four of them came within three years, somewhere yeah, like wow. that. Um, and, but even before that, there was an element of planning going on where... Uh, I'm actually staying in the guy's house right now. He's been my financial mentor for 20 years, right? And um, uh, he's actually living on his boat at the moment <laughs> while I'm here in his house. But um, anyway, he we sat down with him, with Luke and myself. Andrew was involved at that point too. And we actually said, well, look, if we're going to do this, we need to plan it out properly. And so we actually just put it down there to sort of say, look, for us to do this, uh, and to make it worthwhile, we really need to be aiming at 10 practices over 10 years. Mm. Now, we quite sensibly paused at five um, because then the worldwide global pandemic happened. So we actually were looking at number six just before it actually all sort of went a little bit mad. Um, so I'm glad we don't have number six at the moment. But who knows? There, there is every chance that we may end up completing that um, that that goal of oh, yeah. 10 practices in 10 years Perfect. however we're really at a happy place right now where we're just consolidating yeah. and making sure the right people are with us and making sure that we're recovering from this kind of crazy time that's gone mm -hmm. on so what is what, for in your position and and your kind of like what if like what effect has it had on you personally like sort of growth wise coming from someone who is like running one practice so then doing more than one like was it did it take was it a big was it quite a big shift or or not really must have been i guess yeah it's like yeah i i am an expert delegator right that's the other thing you got to really try and work out uh, and it's probably quite a good skill set to have when you're trying to do things on a larger scale. If you're into like this micromanagement and everything has to be exactly perfect, then running one practice, let alone multiple ones, isn't for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> however, um, getting right people around you is really important. And I can't underestimate um, the sort of job Drew does at um, uh, you know, treating it like he owns it, basically. You know, And so there's that. You need to... Uh, you know what I mean by delegation, you've got to sort of let go some of that kind of perfection that you expect from a project that you're doing just by yourself. And yeah, that's, that's one fairly big difference is that you yeah. can't always be there to make sure that everything is looking and presenting. And so we've spent a fair bit of time trying to create a hierarchy within our business as well, where yeah. there are certain people at the top and certain of those people you know, don't have anything to do with things anymore. You know, so mm. I don't have anything to do with CA uh, CA timetables, hiring, hiring anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. um, um, but um, you know, I, I do have increasingly more to do with the trying to find the right chiropractors to get on the team. So mm. yeah. Whereas, like something when you were with Putney, that would have been like something you you kind of. Ex you have to be an expert in all in all fields, really, and like being able to 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 micro or manage every individual part of the business yourself really well, and then like before you establish a good team of people, and then can kind of take the load off, I guess. Absolutely, like you, you know, when you're a solo practitioner, um, you have to do everything. You've got to be the marketing expert. You've got to sometimes yeah. answer the phone. You know, you've got to be like 
um, speaking and negotiating with the landlord and the insurance and, you know, paying all the bills, opening the mail. Yeah. I love the fact that I don't open any mail. <laughs> I guess people are sending less mail these days anyway. I guess I still open emails. I haven't organized that. I need someone to open my emails. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Um, let's move on from this. I think we've got a couple more interesting questions to ask you just on the chiropractic. Um, and I think one of the interesting things I think with like part of your story, especially being in like the UK for so long, um, I want to hear a bit from you about what sort of changed within the state of chiropractic in the last 30 years. And I guess, cause you also, you, I think to give some, um, sort of pretext, you, you were, a chiropractor before the GCC in the UK while the GCC was kind of starting up right or getting getting established am I correct yeah so that was actually quite interesting in that the, the biggest difference pre GCC versus post GCC and I don't think you guys would maybe know this but um, before the GCC were around which was I think they started in 98 99 because I arrived in the UK in 99 um, and they finally got around to doing this thing where anyone who had qualifications as a chiropractor, they grandfathered into the GCC. Mm. Uh, and there were just certain amounts of criteria you had to fulfill to, to do that. Um, however, um, chiropractors used to have to charge VAT on their services. Mm. Wow. Right? So... Imagine that these days where you kind of yeah. say, okay, well, that'll be 40 pounds for an adjustment. Oh, and by the way, that'll be an extra 20%. We've got to, yeah. yeah. And that's, the, 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 but the reality is that's what every other business kind of has to do. Um, so we are very fortunate and privileged to be in that situation to be able to um, not charge VAT. But uh, yeah, that was uh, pretty much all chiropractors in 99 got a 20% pay rise. Wow. Oh, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Not having to back to end the VAT, yeah. Now, I, look, I, I think the, the positive stuff, for the GCC gets a bit of a hard rap sometimes, but I think that the good stuff that has come out of it is just the protecting of the term chiropractic. So, you know, not everyone, not anyone can call themselves a chiropractor. Um, and, but yeah, look, I, I guess to a certain degree, I, you know, the thing is that as chiropractic as a general pro profession, we're pretty safe, you know, and, and we don't do dodgy things as much as maybe some people think or as we get the, the credit for sometimes, you know. And so the GCC have to work really hard to actually find anything to do just to justify their existence, you know. So, um, yeah, look, there's, there's a few odd cases here and there um, where people need to wrap over the knuckles. But as a general rule, um, no, I think, um, I think we're a fairly safe, normal profession. Yeah. All right. Good. And Craig, could you just tell us like, um, just like an incredible story that you've had as being a chiropractor with a patient, just, just, just pick one. So I was thinking about, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how I'm pretty sure when most people get asked that type of question, they're probably trying to look for that kind of miracle case. And they're sort of the, the thing where, Oh my God, I just don't believe that this actually happened, you know? Um, but going back to that 30th birthday party, right. Um, that we had for Putney the other day, I think the biggest kind of Cairo story that, that really got to me was, um, that with, at that birthday party, there were 10 people who were there right at the start and they were still regularly coming in, getting checked over and had been wow. doing so for 30 years. Right. Wow. Um, and, but there were more than that, you know, they were just the 10 that actually could actually arrive on the right. night. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But just to kind of think, and, and just the, the kind of thanks they had that we were kind of an institution for that long, that, that's the sort of story that really floats my boat, you know. Um, yeah. I, I love that sort of stuff, you know. Um, something else that actually I did think about as well with, you know, you've you got to realize as well as a chiropractor as well, sometimes there is this like limitation to matter, right? And, you know, you can't fix everything as well. And, uh, but I don't know if this is inspiring or whether this is depressing. Um, I don't know, but let's just put it out there anyway. There was a particular patient that actually had a full on like quarter equina syndrome that I was looking after, right? So, 
you got to realize that sometimes, you know, people come through your front door and there's a limit to what a lumbar disc can actually tolerate, right? Um, so this poor lady had some ongoing low back pain on and off over time. And then it eventually got to the point where her lumbar disc fully exploded into her spinal canal, right? Um, and uh, she ended up having all of those symptoms uh, that you have, you know, bowel bladder symptoms um, for the full quarter equina syndrome stuff, right? Uh, and I've actually seen her MRI where she had this, like uh, she had a MRI and her bladder was so enormous within her abdomen um, and she wasn't aware, she couldn't feel a thing below the waist. Um, uh, and she ended up, um, I think that bladder kind of wouldn't burst, but she had to let it go unknowingly uh, while she was in the MRI tube. You can imagine that was fun. Oh, wow. <laughs> but anyway, she ended up having to get operated on. It was a fairly emergency procedure based on the fact that she needed to um, uh, get nerves back to the lower sacrum. And, but you know, it's, it's again, sometimes you kind of think that when something like that happens, there's some sort of blame or there is some sort of like, um, fault that maybe you were responsible in some way or that sort of thing. But no, she, she's still a client, um, still, um, but, you know, just realized or, you know, we all realize that in managing something like that, you need to have a good network of people that you know and trust around you. It's not a bad thing to know a spinal surgeon um, and start a dialogue with someone like that. And, you know, you, you, you'll just get the respect of the people if you, draw the line and say, okay, I think it's time to maybe start getting some more help here than just what we've got to offer here as well. So uh, anyway, she was fine. She ended up having a couple of kids after that whole process. And, um, but that was quite an interesting one. Um, yeah. Probably not, probably not like a wow Cairo miracle story, but um, interesting. Definitely have to put your, put your skills to the test and learning and like your scope of practice and what you can help and what you can't help with as those moments that make or, can make or break. Yeah. yeah which is amazing and save that and help that person's life. So Craig, we want to be respectful of your time. So I'm, I'm done with questions. I've got, you've spoken for it. Yeah. It's been great. Loads of, loads of different points. Have you got some things to say before we, before we finish off? Obviously it's a topic uh, I'm struggling to talk about is myself. <laughs> <laughs> you can't shut me up. I think is there? Yeah. 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 <laughs> We've, uh, yeah, it's been good. It's been good to learn a lot, a lot more We've about you. We've ticked off all the box, yeah. Like, Craig, why don't, why don't you tell um, tell our audience and stuff where they can uh, where they can find you on social media and um, and a bit about and uh, and Cairo, London, um, and. Hey, just uh, just a little FYI, uh, I'm down here this week and I've just deleted Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter off my phone. Right, that's oh, the wow. first time. First time I've done that. Now I know Brad, you're not massively into it, but I've become a bit addicted to these things. And um, I still got Strava on my phone, by the way, which is a version of social media, I think. But um, I'm giving it a go. I'm going cold turkey. Cold turkey. Okay, lovely. Well, I mean, if anyone is interested in looking more into uh, the company that Craig has helped, uh, Craig's built, it's I think Cairo London on Instagram, Cairo London on Insta. Um, and as far as yeah. Yeah, no, look, I mean, we, we are everywhere. Uh, the website's uh, www.cairo.london. And like you said, I've done 20 episodes of the Cairo London podcast. Yes. Now. Yeah, um, exactly. What the hell is going on there? Yeah, um, you had, had me on a few weeks ago, which was really good. So guys, go and check I've, it out for some more insights. I've got, a, I've got an episode I'm trying to tee up this week where I'm going to talk to a guy that I went to visit in Chicago last year, and he runs 60 clinics. <laughs> right Not so you bad. might want to try and listen to that one if i get yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> because um that was quite an operation they had that was in chicago so amazing which doc's that what's his name uh well his name is sam wang but uh cairo one is the name of their group perfect yeah, yeah we'll have to keep our keep our eyes open for that one yeah there's, yeah, there's a bunch of six mates who are partners in this business and they, um, uh, we met them all last year. Luke and I went over there, yeah. actually. And so that was, uh, you know, I, th I think that's uh, probably worth finishing on and summarising on, um, on this whole thing is that if, if you're going to do something, you, 
well, this is probably a motto of mine, but cycling, which, uh, or golf or anything like that, if you're gonna take the time to do something, you wanna make sure you do it right, okay? And, and um, I don't like to sort of half dabble in things. I'll either throw myself into it or not, you know? Um, um, and, you know, quite early on, actually one of the benefits and this is what you should do as an associate chiropractor by the way and one of the benefits i had early on was i um hooked up with a golf pro who i provided care to the golf pro and i didn't charge him and then he didn't charge me for the golf lessons and within two and a half years i got a single figure handicap right so <laughs> um so but you know as then I, I i did a little bit of f focus on that one you know so just if you're going to do it, do it right, but also surround yourself with some people that inspire you, you know? So that's what we did with Chicago. We were like, okay, we've got five clinics. Uh, I hear these guys do 60. Let's ring them up. Let's see what they're doing. And yeah, so we went over there and spent an awesome week under their hospitality and they showed me some of their clinics and, and their head office. So um, that's probably a nice little sort of way to wrap it up. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's, thank you for your time, Craig. Thanks a lot. That was uh, really good to, to have a bit more of a chat and find out a lot more into like you and, and, and your journey and, and your thoughts on chiropractic. So thanks for sharing all that insight with us. It's been hugely valuable. Yeah, and thank you guys for listening. If you did enjoy the podcast, please do share it with your friends. I'm sure some other people will enjoy getting some insight from, from this podcast. So thanks again, and we'll see you in the next one. See you, mate.